Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Now, question. Do you really know your audience? Do you know how they think? Do you know what it takes to move them? My guest knows his audience. He says when it comes to the people in the Gulf South, we understand how they make decisions and what it compels them to take action. We create, maintain, enhance, and protect our client's reputation as if it were our own. My guest today is Mark Earhart. He is president and partner of the Earhart Group, and he joins us today from New Orleans, Louisiana. Now, Mark is a graduate of Loyola University in Chicago. Now, while attending Loyola, he had the opportunity to have an internship with the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field one summer. The following summer, he also interned on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Now, I do know something about that, having worked on Capitol Hill for five years myself as the press secretary there. Now, later, he also earned an internship with the well-known firm of Edelman Public Relations in Chicago. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Peter, good to be with you. Well, look, you've been in New Orleans basically all your life, and so you talk about the Gulf South. So give us an overview of, of... the natives of the Gulf South, if you will. So that if we look at, at this part of the country, and, and when we say the Gulf South, we, we're talking about Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, Alabama, and the Florida Panhandle. So, it, it, and more often than not, the I-10 corridor that runs east to west between Lake Charles, Louisiana, and, and Panama City, Florida. And in that area of the country, we're talking about somewhere around 5 million people which is probably a bigger number than a lot of people expect that that aren't from this part of the country or, or may not visit here very often. And th- that environment, the, the, that audience and universe of people um, have very distinct perceptions about their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that is shaped, especially in the last 15 years, it's been shaped by a very basic decision, which is do I stay in my community and try to build it or do I leave? And for better or for worse, that decision has been brought to the people of this region um, because of a variety of 
hurricanes that have hit in the last 15 years at different parts of the coast between as recently as last year, devastate, two devastating hurricanes that hit southwest Louisiana, other hur- another hurricane that hit Pensacola and the Florida Panhandle, um, and going back to Hurricanes Katrina and Rita that affected pretty much the entire Gulf Coast in 2005. There was the, the BP Deepwater Horizon incident that put people to a choice, and that choice is do I stay when you're faced with losing things that, uh, that you've built up, your way of life, your career, your house, you make a decision. And you make a decision to say, am I going to stay here? And am I, going to, am I choosing to rebuild? Or am I going to go elsewhere? And when you look at this part of the country in the last 15 years, nearly everyone, me and my wife in particular, had to make a decision. And you know, for us personally, it was, do we... After Hurricane Katrina, my wife and I lost everything we owned, and our daughter was three weeks away from being born. And we had a decision to make. And it, it, do we want to come back to New Orleans? Do we want to build, rebuild our business in New Orleans? Or do we want to go elsewhere, especially when we had relationships in Chicago or Washington or New York or other places, wonderful places? We decided to stay and rebuild. And when you take something at the very foundation of why people are in the Gulf South. You you don't have other situations in other parts of the country where, like in the case of New Orleans, the entire city was evacuated. In the case of Lake Charles or Pensacola Beach, every resident was had to leave for some point in time and then make a decision to return. And there are implications from making that decision. There's no wrong answer. You know, there's a lot of a lot of my friends over time have, uh, that love this part of the country have chosen to make their lives in in other places, and they love it there. But for here, it creates a dynamic when people choose to stay. It creates a dynamic in how they approach issues and how they approach their community. There's a greater sense of ownership that emerges. And sometimes that sense of ownership is probably larger than it should be. Mm -hmm. And people think they have a stake in in an ownership of an issue or an ownership of uh, certain things happening in the community that really... They don't, but since they believe it and they believe passionately that they do have a stake in it, they speak out, and they speak out positively and they'll speak out negatively. Mm-hmm. But that, pers- that dynamic has an effect on, on who and what companies and brands that the people of the Gulf South will trust. It has an impact on the things we buy. Um, it has an impact on the, on the events we go to. And it, it's center, centered around what makes the Gulf South the, the personality of the Gulf South. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us, as, as we, in our field, you know, in our profession of, of public relations, one of the things that I, I've learned over the last year plus is my colleagues around the country, our colleagues in, around the country, and, and even in the regions we are, you know, we, we all believe in the importance of relationships. You know, we all believe in the importance in, in getting results and positive results for the for the companies and organizations and individuals we work for. Mm-hmm. Um, what distinguishes the Earhart Group, in our opinion, is that we choose to practice our craft in the Gulf South. Okay, and that's that's where we and we stand out because we've chosen to stay and build. And as a result of that, we're investing in un- trying to understand as much as we can about the people who are within our region so that we can give the best advice possible to the companies that have business interests here or the brands who are trying to build their brand here about who the people 
of the Gulf South are and why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. Why do they take action? Why do they buy what they buy? Why do they go see what they go see? And, you know, that, that's sort of guiding us now on our, on our own path in terms of who, who our company is going to be and who, who I'm going to be as, as, a, as a PR professional I can become. Well, uh, and you mentioned that you know all this information. Can you talk a little bit about how you collected this information so that you can determine what they buy and, and how they think and what makes them decide one way or the other? Yeah, so we've um, one of the we came up with the question in, in, among ourselves of you know how do we get a better idea of figuring out how people make decisions because there's a lot of things as we deal with different audiences and different uh, different points of view you know trying to learn more about where those points of view come from and their inherent things or, or instinctual things that we know you know and I, I believe this is true no matter where where your hometown is. Everybody thinks their hometown's a little bit different than somebody else's mm-hmm. because it's, a, it's got a distinct experience in our own personal lives, you know? And so what we wanted to do is take those things that we knew instinctively and try to see what larger amounts of data could show us and, and give us a clearer picture of what we could find out about the people of, of this region. And then really, what are the differences between the people of this region and like, the differences between people in Louisiana versus people who live on the Florida panhandle? So we worked with a uh, New Orleans-based data analytics firm, and we developed something called the Gulf South Index. And it, it debuted last year uh, in the midst of the pandemic because we had, we had started in the beginning of the year looking at different buying habits, um, different perceptions of what people in the Gulf South were thinking as opposed to people across the country. So we're par- comparing the region to the, to the national audience. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, as an example, at the beginning of last year, you know, what we found out is that the people of the Gulf South are more optimistic than, than people nationally. And this was before COVID-19 took hold. And people in the Gulf South had a greater support and idea around achieving what we've always considered the American dream, um, as opposed to people in, in the rest of the country. And so, you know, that was an interesting finding for us in, in finding that the people of this region have a more positive outlook, at least at that point in time, than the rest of the country. And what we were delving more into is, as the pandemic took hold, is trying to identify specific habits in what people were doing in the Gulf South relative to national audiences. And, mm-hmm. you know, what we found out, we found out very quickly is that, that people were, were talking to their friends and family a lot more, which is, is really, when, I think, when someone thinks of the Deep South in the United States and, and the Gulf South, they think about that, that close family unit, close connection to family and friends and the sense of community. Um, that increased during the init- this time last year in March and April and May of last year. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing was we weren't talking on the phone as much. <laughs> we were doing other things compared to national audiences. We were doing more connections through social media. We were doing more things socially distanced outside than maybe in other parts of the country. Um, and then an argument could be made. We're talking to all our friends and relatives all the time anyway, so maybe we were already at a high percentage and it just stayed there. People's habits didn't change. What we saw throughout the year in terms of, of buying habits is that we looked at travel plans. We actually looked at um, Google put mobility charts, uh, made them available for public use, and we could actually track by county how people's habits were in terms of how they were moving. 
how many, you know, where people were moving, were they going into work? Well, that dropped by at least 30%. Mm -hmm. Um, But going to parks and beaches, especially in the beginning of last summer, man, shot up real fast, and it held there. Um, What we're finding out in our latest report, um, which is coming out now, is some of those habits have taken hold. And and when you look at travel habits in, in the Gulf South, it's very clear is that there's a hesitancy to travel internationally, um, there's still some hesitancy to travel to larger cities around the country, but there's absolute pent-up demand in people wanting to get into their cars and go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we, we're saying in our report is if you're somebody who's marketing a destination, um, especially in this part of the country, figure out what the drive-in market is and push all your chips into them. Mm-hmm. Because, people, because right now people are more than willing to get in their car and drive to you, but in terms of getting on an airplane, it's just not there yet. And that, you know, that's real specific insight to this specific part of the country. And, and we think it, it's a way for us to give greater understanding and value to our clients whose business interests are here. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we would not be as good in, in being able to give the level of insight we give now or could give if someone was asking us about Northern California, right. because that's, that's just not where we are, mm-hmm. you know. You know, what I hear as I listen to you, particularly about driving, that says to me that, you know, people who have uh, camping sites, uh, they're looking to get to take advantage of people who want to get out and get around hotels that are at some of these places, amusement parks, other things that should uh, have some sort of an outreach program to bring those people to them. Yes, I, I think that's exactly right. And, and I think that it's, especially when we're talking about weather patterns, when it gets warm here, or what people are willing to do. See, that the people of the Gulf South, when, it's, when we've talked about dealing with the pandemic, right now, when we ask this question at the end of March, we ask people what they were doing the same or more of. You know, what, what are you gonna, how are you going to return to these different activities? More than a third said they're, they're already regularly socializing with people in person. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that more than likely was outside because the weather here gets warmer earlier. The one thing that is still suffering is uh, going to gyms and indoor activities like that. Mm-hmm. Only 17% of people in the Gulf South are willing to do that. That's still five points higher than national audiences. So nationally, people are very wary about going into gyms or attending workout classes and things. But, you know, we're even in the Gulf South versus nationally about people who are going back into their offices and, and doing it in greater numbers. So we can see those types of habits and what's taking place. And from a, an attraction standpoint in giving people something to see, you know, the, one of the great benefits about the Gulf South are the attractions that draw people here. Mm-hmm. And you got miles and miles and miles of some of the best beaches in, in the United States, maybe on earth. And so, you know, people in the Gulf South are used to traveling to those places. So they're more comfortable with it. But then people from outside the region can start looking at this area too and drive here and everybody's outside. So even as vaccinations are increasing, people can, people can still interact with each other and have that safe distance because of all the outdoor attractions that are available as opposed to indoor. And, you know, as I listen to that I, and the fact that there's such a coherence and a, a camaraderie of people down there, because as you said, they decided to stay in spite of the uh, difficulties they've had you know, my hometown is Washington, D.C., and one thing about Washington, D.C. is there's so many transients that come there. 
because of the federal government. That is the hub of it. And people want to work at the federal government and Congress and other places. And what's built up around that, all the large corporations that do business with the government. So they too have large companies around there and and, uh, buildings around there and they're bringing people in. So I'm just thinking that uh, this sort of a study might not go over very well in the Washington region because everybody's not from there. <laughs> right. Who knows right. How, long, who, how long they're going to stay. <laughs> it, you do, we do see some, some different things in terms of you know, how this region stands out the, to, from places like Washington, D.C. And, and, and really larger, larger, uh, larger cities, I mean, more than anything. It, you know, the, the Gulf South's got, got plenty of cities, and, and New Orleans being at the heart of it. Um, but, you know, Jackson, Mississippi, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Pensacola, Mobile, you know, those are all places of, of population density. But they, they, people just have a different, they just have a different perspective. They, they, and, and neither the part that, that we think about in the Gulf South Index is we don't look at it from the perspective of, well, who's right and who's wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, we purposefully don't ask questions that could be interpreted politically. And when you look at the, when you look at our study, we don't break things down by Republican, Democrat, or independent. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to know what the people of the region think as people. And there aren't wrong answers. It's just where they, where they're, where they're looking. And, and there are some, some pretty interesting dichotomies down here versus the rest of the country. And whereas last year, this region was more optimistic about the American dream and, and having the year be, be you know having the 2020 be better than 2019 pre-pandemic we did see a significant drop off in in optimism in the gulf south and now there's more national optimism about 2021 being better than 2020 than there than there is in the gulf south mm-hmm. now more than half the people in the gulf south think 2021 is going to be better for them than 2020 but we're talking nearly two-thirds of people nationally think it's going to be better so we, we're trying to look into why that is, um, and some of that is that that stood out to us is people's personal financial situations, and you know people's habits in the Gulf South about meeting with each other socially, taking and doing more activities potentially uh, more quickly than the rest of the country. There's significant more concern about financial issues in in the Gulf South. Mm-hmm. And people, when we ask people if times are tough or they're doing okay. There's a lot more people, you know, 13% more people in the Gulf South say the times are tough for them than, than people nationally. You know, not as many people say they're doing okay in terms of being able to pay their bills and, you know, manage month to month as the national population is. So those are, those are areas of concern because those areas of concern are going to show up in other types of debate in the community. That, that, that means that people may be more vocal in, in trying to do things to support investment in jobs. Mm-hmm. It may be that, you know, people's concerns in terms of social programs and the, the pressure it put on the, the, the various infrastructures in the different cities and regions of the, of the Gulf South, that it may emerge there. But it, it's all ways that we can go to our clients and in the community overall and try to add some insight where people go, man, I didn't, I didn't really realize it that way. Mm-hmm. And it lays out a roadmap for us in terms of how to best communicate on a client's behalf. As I listen to the things that this uh, study has sort of revealed, it also begs the question, have you shared that, with, let's say, with the local and state government? Because, you know, they have some, some obligations to help 
things get better, if you will, you know, because they need to put certain resources in certain areas to plug up dams or uh, clear away waste, whatever it happens to be, and, and find jobs or new jobs. So have you shared this information with them so they too can understand how they should approach and act and what actions they might need to take? Well, it's so we we distribute uh, we distribute uh, Gulf South Index information every three weeks, and we we okay. post on our website and things like that. And what we found is some of the most frequent people who read what we send are actually state legislators in, in Louisiana, in particular. Mm-hmm. And you know that that came as a surprise to me, <laughs> but that that is part of our plan. Is is if if there's insight that we can provide through the Gulf South Index, we want the people and leaders of the region to see it. Now, I'll tell you, a big section of what we examine is beyond just the, the issues of the day around COVID-19 and, and, and different buying habits or is something even bigger that we are interested in, which is how people go about making decisions and who do they listen to, mm-hmm. to gather information and how they share it. Mm-hmm. And one of the key things we found in the 2021 report is that when we ask people who they trust to get good information from, Number one was someone's employer. Uh, number two were businesses in their community. And then number three was elected officials. But elected officials were below 50%. Mm-hmm. And number four were people on social media. And that was pretty distinct for us because what it says is that, you know, as an employer, and, and right now in, in something, an, an issue specific to getting vaccinated, what at some point, there is going to be there's going to be a percentage of people that get vaccinated and then there's going to be a fall off and, and we're seeing that around the country as we sit here and talk today and what we're looking at and saying is well you know employers may have a may have a role to play or they do have a role to play in giving good information to people um, as they consider getting vaccinated some of these employers are going to have to mandate potentially people getting vaccinated and pe- we know that employers play a big role in communicating good information. Businesses are important. And I think businesses and employers, people look to in the Gulf South at a greater percentage for good information than, than nationally. Mm-hmm. Elected officials, though, just the trust, the trust is not there in, in, that, type of, in that type of volume. And that, that's in nationally and in the Gulf South. The Gulf South is a little bit worse in terms mm-hmm. of trust in elected officials. On the, the flip side, in the Gulf South, people tend to trust social media more and, than, than nationally by a pretty good margin. And for me, as somebody in the business like you, I'm, I'm concerned about social media and the, the, the purposeful misinformation that's put out there and the impact it has on people and, and how people make decisions. And so I, I'd, I'd prefer to see that, that social media trust number or you know just believe in things you see on social media I'd like to see that number be a, be a fair amount lower, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> well, you know, I, I agree with you, and that's exactly where I was going to go. Considering social media, the question is going to be, if you drill down on that, exactly where in social media is it from some respected site or just some people that they follow because they're there? It's unfortunate because two people do listen because not only on social media, maybe some sort of radio programs that they might not have the expertise, but they just have a large group of people who listen to them and for some odd reason accept what they say as the gospel, so to speak. Yes, and, and I think so there's, there's a couple findings for this region of the country, um, one of which I think is, is interesting in terms of where, the, where 
the, the conventional wisdom is maybe around the country in terms of the importance of local news, and the other one speaks, the other perception speaks to the dangers of people sharing information that might not be correct on social media with their friends and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So when we, we ask the question of, in terms of, you know, when you get information, how, how much confidence do you have in that information about the news and current events being accurate and, and, and being correct? And local news is right at the top of the list. I mean, both nationally and, but in specifically in the Gulf South, people look to their local news still for information, almost to the point of three quarters of the population looking at some form of social of uh, local news, mm-hmm. which to us goes to our premise, which is you know knowing local and acting local is more important than ever before, right? It, it goes to the point of why we created the Gulf South Index. The part that is the part that's concerning is when we ask people how much confidence they have in the information about news and events that they get from sources on social media. You know, sixty-six percent of people say they trust local news that way. But when you ask them about their friends, you know, about the same percentage of people get think that the information they're getting from their friends on social media has a great deal of accuracy to it. So. The idea that we have that that inner circle of people that we trust, which has you know been true for for millennia, that that circle of trust getting infiltrated by inaccurate or purposeful misinformation through social media is a problem, mm. because people are people are looking at their trusted sources, but they're getting bad information from their trusted sources, mm-hmm. which is a which is a concern. It's a threat to to how people communicate, and that's something that that caught our attention. Well, and and you might not be able to do anything about this, but when somebody does get uh, some of this misinformation and they start to repeat it to to other folks, how do, has anybody decided how do you fix this? In other words, do you ask people to compare what they got from social media for their friends to what's being broadcast on their local news, which they do trust, and those two don't don't compare? How will they choose which one to believe? It's so we. One, the number one thing we try to do in working with the different organizations and companies that we work with is encourage is encourage consistency in messaging. Mm-hmm. Right? We need to be aware of what we're saying and how we're saying it and who we're saying it to, and doing it over over time. Right? Staying consistent over time. The other thing that we're saying to our clients that we believe is to our benefit and ultimately helps fight back this perception of misinformation is. One of the things that is, is playing in our favor is that we can develop our own content accurately on our own terms and distribute it to an audience we can define. Mm-hmm. You know, almost any audience, any audience can be defined now, whether it's 3 billion people or 300, right. we have the data to define it. So if, is, if we're putting out information that's accurate, that's powerful, that's engaging, and we're doing it consistently, we believe that we'll build bases of supporters that have understanding that can then make good decisions. But that, that doesn't happen overnight, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it may not happen. It may not happen completely in the way that we want, but we at least have a, have a clear path that we can go down and take our clients down to fight back against misinformation. Mm-hmm. Something we're still working through uh, quite a bit because we do a lot of work around issues where there are distinct points of view, especially when it comes to economic development, industrial development, environmental issues, is the megaphone that people with 
opposing points of view have, the lack of consequences on those opposing views being wrong and factually wrong. Companies, companies that are publicly traded, companies that are owned and have a board of directors, even if they're private, they have consequences if they're putting out bad information. Mm-hmm. And, but those consequences don't necessarily apply to people who have, who have an opposing point of view. And I'm not saying those people are going out there and doing something wrong on purpose. I don't, I don't think so. I think they're operating with the information they have, and they're very passionate about it. But we have to that's – a, that's, a, that's a problem because – what ends up happening is the people who have to make decisions are listening to a very vocal, small group of people, mm-hmm. and that may or may not be correct in the facts that they have. And what we're doing more often than not is trying to encourage people who for a long time may have been uh, considered part of the silent majority in a community to, to encourage those people with information that they can use and motivating them to speak out about the importance of the work that they do, the job that they have, the, the effort they put into maintaining safety and environmental safeguards. Because, you know, it used to be that people would just show up and go to work, man. They just wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And just let me do my work, and I'm, I'm proud of my work, but I, I want to do my work and go home. And that doesn't, really, doesn't work like that anymore. I mean, it, the world's a different place. And the people who make decisions in our communities, they need to hear from the people who are going in and out of these big companies and plants and, and hear their personal stories so that they can make good informed decisions. If not, they're making decisions with only half half the information available to them, and that information may or may not be accurate. You and, know, and see that 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 sort of a you know begs another question in terms of how do you share this information? Because as you said, there are trusted sources there, which is local media and and other uh, uh, folks that uh, you know have earned people's trust. And you're sharing this the information that applies to the community at large, and it contradicts what uh, some of the, they might be getting on social media. Uh, do you have any sort of sharing arrangement so that the folks do have right, the correct information that they can act on? Well, we, yeah, so we, we're working much like, much like hundreds of other uh, public relations firms and, and people who do what we do around the country. You know, we're monitoring at different points, tracking the, the level of engagement we have on the different things we do. And we're paying attention to the commentary and we're posting our own, making sure that that's accurate. We, you know, I think that's something that's very important in terms of knowing as much as you can about the region where you're operating and how people make decisions is that what we're able to do is, is look at all as many of the local options as possible in terms of having the flexibility and understanding of the local news media to where some of the greatest success I've ever had in terms of uh, of working on uh, whether it's a debatable issue, you know, a hot button issue, or even just representing a client that has a major event coming to New Orleans or somewhere in the region, is the ability to get with the news media without necessarily an expectation of immediate coverage. Mm-hmm. And by being able to have those relationships and build those relationships in this region of the country, because you can't I think it's almost impossible to build the depth of a relationship with reporters and influencers everywhere in the country. There just isn't enough time in the day, right. you know, that, that, and so by focusing in on the region where we operate, we do have the ability to develop relationships that are based around knowing what's newsworthy, knowing what information a media person needs or an influencer needs, and being able to communicate with them without the expectation of immediate coverage 
so that when that coverage happens, it it's more it's better informed by the person reporting it. It's I find more balanced, and it maybe takes away some of the misperceptions early in the process of a story being reported, as opposed to trying to come back later after that toothpaste is out of the tube mm-hmm. and and try to get it back in there. You know, from one of the great things we try to do, which you know we're successful some of the times, not all the time, is encouraging companies and organizations to engage earlier, engage earlier. And because then we're in a position to advance our own messages Mm -hmm. clearly, um, as opposed to letting someone with a certain point of view get out there too soon. And we spend more time responding to that and beating back misperceptions as opposed to laying the foundation for our own messages Mm -hmm. from the start. And, you know, those, I'm just trying to think, I don't know how immediate those things are in terms of reversing misperception, but those are two tools that I know and have confidence in that have worked over time to try and beat back that type of misinformation that gets thrown out there. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, let me say that uh, you have provided our listeners with a great amount of information, and I think that, that a lot of folks are going to take your wisdom and information and, and run with it. So if you've got any closing remarks that uh, you'd like our audience to have, I'd like to hear them from you. I think I'd leave, I'd leave everybody with this headline. The, the world's getting more complicated, not less. And by virtue of that, it requires us to understand people on a more local basis. And being local and knowing local is more important than ever because the people who need what we do and the craft that we're involved in in terms of communicating with people accurately and powerfully to help people educate themselves and, and be informed about things that are important to them, you know, they, they need to see it from familiar sources. And, and those familiar sources are in the communities where they live. And if we can gain trust of the people that we're communicating with every day, you know, that's the foundation of companies and individuals and organizations being heard and ultimately us finding success. In, in communicating with, with, with the audiences that are most important to us. So it's, I think it's a fun time to do what we do, Peter. You know, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting time. Never have we had the data we have now to match to the perceptions that we learn about in all the different places where we work. And we've got a lot to learn and, and a lot of things to say. And it, it's, the next 10 years are going to be are going to be pretty great, mm-hmm. I, I think, for, what, for, for public relations professionals and people like you and me. So I appreciate you giving us the time and, and being able to talk. Well, Mark, thank you so very much. And as you know, uh, in this business, data data is king. So yep. the more you have of yep. it and it's, if it's interpreted and used the right way, that uh, things can go, can go very, very well. So let me say thank you to Mark Earhart, who is the president and partner of the Earhart Group, who's joined us today from New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, to our listeners, uh, please begin to make sure you follow us and subscribe. And also let uh, your friends know. And please join us again for the next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. 
Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast.